calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Good morning, everyone. I'm Trevor Van Winkle, and you're listening to the Homestead on the Corner Writing Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the Homestead on the Corner Writing Podcast. Actually, the second episode I've recorded, the first one, I decided, despite the fact that it was about beginnings, it wasn't really an appropriate introduction to what this podcast is going to be about. I wanted to go back more to the basics, an introduction to myself, my approach to writing, and the kind of stories that I like to tell. Based on that, you'll have a better idea of the kind of writer that I am, and whether or not you think you can learn anything from me. I hope you can. And I think it's very important to listen to opinions that differ from yours, especially when it comes to writing. That way you see new approaches that you might not have otherwise considered, and you could possibly adapt them into your own. The intent of this podcast is mainly to be a writing advice and writer's life podcast, to share what I've learned in the process of becoming a writer. I'm still fairly new, and still learning a lot, but I have self-published four books, really four parts of one large novel, and written the first draft of two others. I feel I have a fairly strong grasp of story, character, and language, and I hope I'll be able to share some of what I've learned and continue to learn. I hope it will be helpful, enlightening, and insightful, but we'll just have to wait and see how that goes. Additionally, I want to provide a little bit of a behind-the-scenes look at the writing of some of my books, a look at the writing process, and especially the process of being self-published. Finally, every once in a while, I'll release a special, a short story read aloud or some type of audio drama, it will hopefully demonstrate some of the concepts I've been discussing in the podcast. Basically, this will help me get practice recording audiobooks. I meant to record an audiobook for the Graceland Tales when the first book was released in March of last year. Obviously, that never happened. If I can use this podcast to get a little bit more comfortable with the sound of my own voice, I think that will be a major help. New episodes of this podcast will go up every Monday morning around 8 o'clock. That way you can listen to them on the road or at your job, depending on if your job allows you to do that, and have them on in the background throughout the week. With the nuts and bolts of the introduction complete, I want to go a bit into my personal background, and my background as a writer. I was born in Littleton, Colorado, but of course I remember nothing of that. My family and I moved to Medford, Oregon shortly afterwards when I was about one and a half years old. I grew up there in a loving family with two parents and two younger siblings, and we all really had a great relationship. 
My brother and sister and I were all very close in age, being separated by about 18 months from one another, and so we really grew up together. We went through seasons of life with backup. It also prevented some of the traditional conflicts between older and younger siblings, I think. The fact that we could relate to what each other were going through. Overall, my childhood was very happy, but I was also very lonely. I'm definitely an introvert. Interactions with other people drain my energy rather than feed me. And even today, I still need to recharge by having some time to myself to read and think. I used to be more outgoing as a child. I was a bit loud and boisterous, a bit outgoing and very strange in my early years. I had an overgrown vocabulary as a child. One time, coming out of a friend's house after dinner, I looked up at the moon and said, Oh look, it's perfectly symmetrical! Then I proceeded to put my thumb over it to see if it really was, and said, Oh no, it's not, it, it's not quite full yet. Another time, in a first grade classroom, I began banging away at a piano in the corner with my ear against the body of it. When the teacher rushed over to rip my hands off the keys and ask what I was doing, I told her I was listening to the reverberations. Of course, I never lived those stories down that did feed into why I began to become more reserved, why I began to retreat more into my shell as a kid. I was mocked for my vocabulary, for my interest in reading. Even some of my teachers disapproved of it. My parents are fond of saying the only time I really got in trouble in school was in the third grade when I got caught reading in class while the teacher was teaching. Trevor Van Winkle, the only kid I ever had to tell to stop reading. As you can probably tell for a bookwormish kid like me, that kind of public humiliation was the kiss of death. I grew even more reserved and introverted. I desperately sought library passes for lunch so I could stay away from the social environment at the playground. When I couldn't get them, I often spent the entire lunch hour sitting on a bench in the corner with my hood up, trying to avoid any interaction. But even back then, I was telling stories. I wrote a lot as a kid, including one very short book that nothing really came of. I also told stories through cartoons, comic books, playing with Legos, and basically any other way I could find. I think this is something I have in common with everyone, really. I think we're all storytellers to start out with, and most of us are discouraged from it by our peers and by our teachers, the ones who are supposed to encourage us. Finally, I did get a bit of that encouragement in middle school. I had two great, great English teachers in 7th and 8th grade, Mr. Cowley and Mrs. Rouillet. Mr. Cowley especially encouraged me, though on the first day of class, he did trick me into thinking I was in the wrong room. By the way, it was a joke he pulled every year with this entire class, and I'm pretty much the only one who ever fell for it. But we moved along from yet another bit of public humiliation, and I became a part of his student writing group and summer camps. This was a huge encouragement to have a small community in school where I could continue to write and explore. Mrs. Rouillet, as well, encouraged me to pursue writing. But as I entered high school, I began to lose interest. I turned my attention more to filmmaking. I wrote scripts for my own short films and produced them throughout high school, usually with a couple of friends. I didn't have many, but they were amazing, loyal, and always there for me when I said, hey, I want to run out and shoot something. You guys game? Eventually that led me to pursue an education in film. I spent the first two years at a local university staying at home and doing my general ed to save money. I then attended Biola University, then graduated with a bachelor in cinema and media arts with a focus on production. Even throughout that time, I kept writing. I kept exploring, and I kept telling stories. It was only in the last semester, though, that I finally began to sit down and write. I took a screenwriting class, screenwriting for production majors, in my last semester at school. This class was led by a relatively new teacher at Biola, a working professional screenwriter named Camille Tucker. She saw something in my writing and encouraged me to pursue it. I wasn't quite sure about that. With her encouragement, the encouragement of all my mentors throughout the years, and the irresistible call to create, I finally decided to sit down and write a book, just to see how it turned out. 
Starting on the first day of Advent in 2016, I began to publish a web serial, putting up a new, short chapter every day through the four weeks leading up to Christmas. This book was The Graceland Tales, and through a long process of editing, rewriting, and re-editing, that became my first novel. Because of it, I met two of my dearest friends, who encouraged me to self-publish, and the rest, as all the hackneyed writers say, is history. With all that in mind, I'd like to talk about my approach to writing. It will almost certainly look different from yours, and by no means do I want to say this is the only way of writing, or even the best way. This is the way that I've found works for me. Whatever works for you, go after it. Every writer is different. Every writer hears their inspiration from a different source and puts it down in a different way. There are stories of writers who put down only five or six words a day, finishing a novel over the course of decades. There are others, like Stephen King and myself, who like to sit down and get the work done as quickly and efficiently as possible. There are strengths and weaknesses to both approaches, and you have to decide for yourself which one works best for you. But I want to offer my two cents and tell you how I write my books. Take it, leave it, or take it with a grain of salt. But this is what I do, what I love, and the way I love to do it. First of all, as you can probably guess, I'm a plotter. I like to structure and plan my novels out beforehand. This is largely due to the fact that all of my formal training in writing was in screenwriting. And by that I mean a couple of electives in college. While this helps me not get lost in the writing of the story, sometimes, yes, it does stifle creativity. But I think having a roadmap to your story makes you feel safer to venture off. It also makes it easier to know what will need to be changed when you decide to make a drastic left turn in your story. Also. In case you didn't know, writing a novel takes a long time. I prefer to spend at least a couple of weeks, if not months, in the outline and planning phase to make sure I'm not wasting my time on a story that won't work. A quick side note, a difference between writing prose and writing a screenplay is that in a screenplay, you're writing a translated work. Your words will be turned into visuals, and thus your words need to be as visual as possible. It took me a little while to figure out the other tools available when writing a novel. So if you're coming from a screenwriting background, keep in mind, you have the internal monologue. You have the thoughts and emotions of a character that you can put right there on the page. Don't just write your book as a slightly longer screenplay. Be sure to remember that there's more depth that you can put into it. And you can also leave much more to the imagination of the reader. When I sit down to write a book, I follow Stephen King's advice. I'm a 2,000 word a day workaholic. I do this for a couple of reasons. It's easy to track in the bottom corner of the screen, and once you tick over 2,000, you know. It's easy math. Also, it's a good pace for me. A nice fast clip that doesn't feel out of control, or like it's taking all of my time. On a good day, I can get 2,000 words in in about an hour and a half. Usually more two and a half or three hours, but when I get up early in the morning to write, that's the perfect length of time. That 2,000 word a day goal works for me, but Stephen King even points out in On Writing that every writer is different. If you want to start writing every day, I suggest starting small. Maybe start with 500 or 1,000 words. If you can't even do that, then maybe you're one of those five-word-a-day writers. You do you, and do it brilliantly. I also love world-building, not just in my epic fantasy novels, but in the smaller ones. I love researching and creating imaginative worlds, even if they're just a slight variation in our own. Of course, world-building can be a problem, especially if you, like me, have a tendency to put it all on the page. World-building your novel is like creating the background for a painting. If you put too many details on the canvas, you can't tell what's foreground and background anymore. 
what's important and what's not. It's far easier to blur out the details, and if you put them there carefully, they can evoke an entire universe in the mind of your reader. I'm also a big advocate for story structure. I know that rubs some people the wrong way, and a lot of people prefer to not even think about it as they're writing their first draft. But, in my humble opinion, story structure isn't something artificially forced on narrative. When The Hero with a Thousand Faces came out, it wasn't trying to create some new perfect structure for storytelling. It was trying to discover what was already there. Campbell was trying to find the bones of the stories that he'd found, and discover what they all had in common. Whether or not he succeeded is a matter of opinion, but almost every modern theory of story structure is based on his initial work. And in my opinion, most of story structure is just fancy terms for saying a story has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and a change has to occur within it realistically. The steps in between are really just general guidelines. But let me tell you, if your story doesn't have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and nothing changes throughout it, you don't have a story, you have an incident. Stuff is happening, but nothing's really happening. Now I have a tendency to write more traditional, linear narratives that fit easily into the three-act structure of a story. If you're totally against that and you want to write subversive, anti-establishment, non-linear stories, go ahead. But the thing about rules is you shouldn't break them by accident. You should break them intentionally, out of rebellion. Knowing the rules in place helps you to better subvert them, turn them on their head, and show the world that there are other stories that can be told. It's the same way I like to deal with genre conventions. Because I know them so well, I know what's cliched, what's hackneyed, and how to turn that around and make it into something more interesting. The best way I've found to learn the kind of cliches and structures that show up over and over again in stories is to read and watch and listen widely. Read as much as you can, as often as you can, and as widely as you can. Read stories you think you might not necessarily like. Figure out what works in them and what doesn't. Figure out what you like and what you'd like to imitate. No piece of storytelling exists in a vacuum. It's either a continuation of, or a reaction against, historical trends. If you know that, and you know the tradition that you're coming from well, you're better able to create something interesting and original out of it. Now there are just a couple of other things I want to talk about in terms of my own writing. I have a couple of themes and structural elements that tend to recur in most of my stories. I like to write them around big, second-act turns that help to make the third act more interesting. I won't spoil any of these twists, but in the Graceland Tales and many of my short stories, in addition to the new novel that I'm working on, the structure is really built around one big moment that changes everything. It's typically called a plot twist, but I don't really like that term because it tends to imply a cheap, shock value type moment. I want my stories to be shocking, sure, but I don't write things for shock value. I write them because it's what will push the characters into the next stage, in the direction they need to be going, and teach them the lessons that they need to learn. I also have a tendency to write stories with fairly spiritual themes, with a longing for another world, and a fairly spiritualistic worldview. This largely comes from my upbringing and my education. I was raised in a Christian household, grew up in church, and went to a small Christian school for the last two and a half years. If you've read the Graceland Tales, that's probably not too surprising. Religion and the church play a huge part in that story, even if it is a fairly negative one. But like most people with an interest in history, I definitely have a problem with organized religion. I don't think that's a problem for a Christian. Jesus had problems with the organized religion of his day. However, I try to invest all of my novels with a deeper, spiritual meaning to them. Typically, characters are longing for something immaterial. And oftentimes, death and a longing to be reunited with loved ones plays a major role in my stories. But beyond just my upbringing and education, I think that I put these themes into stories because they help to deepen the reality of them. It's a basic human tendency 
to try and find spiritual significance in things. Religion and worship appear in every culture and history, and it really should feature in the fictional world you're creating with your story. It's also a good antidote to the tendency to overbuild your worlds on the physical side, to spend long, long hours creating languages, maps, and world histories. That's all world building on one level. I think world building on a deeper level is digging into the emotional, mental, and yes, spiritual lives of the people in your world. Some of my favorite examples of this in fiction are Dune, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, Les Miserables, which is very concerned with the salvation of one man's soul in the midst of a massive historical drama, and American Gods. Though in my opinion, Gaiman tends to over-literalize the spiritual often, though he does touch on deeper themes very well. Finally, I think my approach to storytelling can be summed up in three words. Story above all. Everything you do, from the way that you write the story, to the type of themes you include, and the type of characters you put in, should entirely be determined by what will serve your story best. But first, you need to know what will serve your story best. You need to know what your story is about, and sometimes you don't figure that out until the second or third draft. That's okay. Once you know what your story is about, because, shocker, every story is about something, you need to pursue that with everything you have. Use every tool in your toolkit that's appropriate, and will help to make that story produce a better effect. Whether that be a change in perspective or point of view, or an entire restructuring of your plot, you've got to figure out what will serve your story best. Story above all. Above your ego, above sales, above popularity or popular zeitgeist. Some stories will do very well in the market. Some stories will be well received. Others will not. Others will speak truth that maybe the world doesn't want to hear. But the fact of the matter is, if you have that story, you have been gifted with it, and you have a responsibility to bring it to life in the best, most honest way you know how. That's the very crux of what it means to be a writer. And I think that's a fundamental part of what it means to be human. Well, I think that's about all for this first episode. If you like what I said, or even if you don't, I hope that you can learn something from this podcast. As I said, I'll be posting new episodes every Monday morning so you can listen on your commute or listen at work. I also have a blog, homesteadonthecorner.wordpress.com, where I make similar posts to this and also share out short stories on a regular basis. Also, if you want to check out my published works, go to graislandtales.com, that's G-R-A-Z-L-A-N-D, tales.com, to read chapter excerpts and check out the full books. There'll be more exciting announcements about that in the future. If you want to follow me on social media, I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Trevor underscore VW. That's about all for now. From the homestead on the corner, have a great day and keep writing. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday.
You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.